Up next on episode 40 of Stack Overflow, Joel and Jeff sit down with Michael Lope, a.k.a. Rands, to discuss how a geek manages other geeks, the dangers of working remotely, the pitfalls of offshoring, and some techniques for continual learning from IT Conversations. Hi, this is Phil Windley. Today I'm excited to bring you another great program from Stack Overflow with Joel Spolsky and Jeff Atwood here on IT Conversations. The Conversations Network is a 501c3 nonprofit, and we need your help. For a tax-deductible donation of as little as $5 per month, you can support this channel and the rest of the Conversations Network. So please visit conversationsnetwork.org to become a member and help us continue to bring our programs to the world for free. Our audio files are delivered by Limelight Networks, the high-performance content delivery network for digital media. And now, here's Stack Overflow. Yeah, it's just like you're, you're, you're playing with your AM radio and you just tuned in on a station that was in the middle of something. That's awesome. That's the, uh, that's the illusion we want to create. <laughs> we had an anemone die today. An anemone? Yeah. Was it, what color was it? Are they all brown or green or what's the deal? No, I don't know. It was like multicolored. They're like brown, green. They got little tentacles. Does an anemone float when it dies, or is it just sort of sad and on the bottom? I don't know. I, I, just found, out, I found out about it via email. I haven't yet saved it. <laughs> but yesterday it was looking really sick. <laughs> it's, uh, our aquarium is a source of much sadness and stress. <laughs> the people that visit our office, they only get like the, oh, cool, it's like pretty fish. They don't have to live with the... It's not no, they life. Don't, they don't have to stay up with the with the, the sea fish that get a, the the, the seahorses when they get a cold. There was a uh, in college. I had a, a proctor who had a, you know the whole like you know saltwater tank and she had all all of the maintenance of all that. And at some point, and I don't know what these things were, but she got these worms in the uh, in the saltwater tank, and they you know got into the base of it, and they just slowly grew bigger and bigger. And then they started to start to like climb up out of the mud and start eating the fish, which is like it's like wow. a horror movie in your fish tank. That just freaks me out whenever I think about it. it does. So did they like become land animals like they evolved? <laughs> I, I, I think at some point she said you know they might win, so I think she like got the water out of the tank. But I can imagine I'm like, my 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 vision was always they were getting out and coming after you because you know that's just kind of freaky. We had starfish that would like just eat the other fish. Like the fish would just go missing completely and we were pretty sure <laughs> the starfish was eating them. So we well, got rid of the starfish. Anyway, Jeff, what's new? Uh, nothing. I was just afraid that with those worms there was going to be spice involved and <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't be good. Nice poll. <laughs> yeah. We have, we have to our listeners, I don't remember, I don't know whether we've started recording or not, but uh, to our listeners, our special guest star today is Michael Lopp, also known as Rans in Repose. Everyone gets that wrong all the time. They're like, it's Rans Responds. They Rans can't actually respond. Yeah. No, so. Repose is, is like rest, right? It's like you resting. Exactly. Chilling. Sitting with the little thought bubble above my head going, hmm, what do I think about that? Right, right, right. Whereas, like, for example, Joel on software would be Joel in, with arms akimbo. <laughs> that, would be my, that would be my posture. Jeff, what are you going to be? You're going um, to be the coding horror, um, like that Edward M Munch um, painting, the famous Edward Munch point painting, oh. also the Home Alone kid. You're, sl you know, you're slapping your, your cheeks, your mouth wide open. Right. 
Um, thanks, uh, thanks for being on the show, uh, Michael. My pleasure. Wonderful to be here. I, I, I should tell the story of how I know you. I started writing my blog a million years ago because you were writing so well, and I felt I had to, you know, rise to the occasion. So this is this is there's something very uh, circular, symmetric about this being here. So I'm very happy to be here with both of you. Cool. And um, um, what do we usually do on the show, Jeff? Jeff? <laughs> Jeff? Usually have some questions or something to talk about. Uh, well, sometimes we talk about Stack Overflow stuff. I know Joel has always been very deeply concerned that this would turn into a hosting show. Oh, yeah. This show. Yeah, we don't. It's we're very not important that this guests. show be about us. That's right. About <laughs> That's the, what I got out of this. The special uh, guest. Yes. <laughs> not too much to guess. That would take away from you know our right. majesty smell. But, <laughs> right. But, no, no. It, it's, it's okay if exciting. our guests want to talk about what they think about us. Yeah, that's fine. Well, oh, we can somehow be the focus. That's the important thing. So I, I turn it around and I ask you questions. Is that is that the deal? Is that what's going on? <laughs> I, I have a question for you, for Jeff before we get started. It's just sort of off okay. topic. This is this is um, um, a tw- Twitter question. Oh, okay. Okay, so I, I can't understand like half of the things that people are tweeting at me. Right. So there's a guy named James Pierce. I don't really know who he is. But it looks like he sort of has, hasn't shaved for a while. And he wrote, at Spolsky has a follow-to-follower ratio of 1 to 100. So Twitter is a broadcast medium? Question mark. Hmm. Now, you want to interpret that for me? Actually, Michael, uh, you, you follow, you've written about Twitter before. I think you're a Twitter fan. I'm, I remember some of your stuff about Twitter. I'm a Twitter nerd. Um, I'm actually writing about Twitter right now. Um, so I... But I think the uh, what he's saying there is that I'm actually pulling you up on Twitter right now, Joel. You probably have a huge amount of followers, and you have a totally few. Uh, yes, I followed um, people. 19 people, some right. of whom never post. I had to stop so following I- Jeff because it was just all Jeff all the time in the homepage, and I couldn't take it. <laughs> <laughs> so the guy. So the guy's basically telling you that you know you're a jerk because you're not participating in the medium. That's what I. Oh, hear. I see. Because I'm not following all the people. Exactly. It's just you and, you know, on your stage and blah, blah, blah. Got so it. I, my, my rule is pretty simple yeah. is, you know, whenever I sit down to look at, I use Twitterific on the Mac is, is I, when I sit down, I got to be able to go and digest all of the updates that have come through. If it's a flood, if it's like yeah. Scoble's got like thousands of yeah, you know, yeah, followers, yeah, 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 yeah. I just turn it off. It's like, I, I, I won't, I'll stop using it. So I follow like a couple of hundred people and I sort of edit it, but it's, it's people, people that I know, the people that I don't know. And, but it's, it's a consumable amount between times that I sit down and I use it. So that's, uh, that's exactly how I feel. And I sit down and use it every three days. So I want to see you know, right. three days worth of, and, uh, the, the, the trouble is that there are 2,475 people who actually like want to know like how many squares of toilet paper I use. Right. And I don't even know who these people are and don't care if they use a lot of toilet paper, or a little bit of toilet paper, or if they just completely go without. Just don't care. I just don't. It's not because I'm a bad person. <laughs> I just don't. Yeah, so yeah, I guess it is a broadcast medium, basically, when you put it that way. <laughs> Either that or a sort of mass, um, mass uh, uh, peeping Tomism. Yeah. Yeah, my only... I use, I use search a lot to kind of see when I throw something out there what kind of the response is and that's kind of how i find mm-hmm. other than mm-hmm. people that I, that I know that's kind of how i find the random like 
oh, this is a bright person that's saying something that I connect with. But it's, you know, it's a couple people a week maybe. And I'm always taking people off as well. Oh, you've got a huge ratio too. I'm looking here. you got about a 1 to 50 it looks like. Yeah, I'm yeah. a total asshole. Yeah. Totally. Um, but uh, yeah, 20, it's uh, – 1 to 200. Yeah. No, wait. What's <laughs> – sorry. <laughs> 1 to 20. you got a 1 to 20 ratio. Hey, so I have, a, I have a question for both of you on that very topic. Yeah. So can you guys do math? Are you guys like mathematicians? No. And Jeff, definitely not. Not I'm clearly not. I, I mean, Joel maintains uh, that I can type anything you wanted to. Go every programmer should have like a perfect math SAT score. So I've already failed. I don't. I right, don't maintain that. I've just never met anybody that doesn't have 800 on their math SATs. <laughs> I have. <laughs> I'm horrible at math. I'm, I'm bad at time. I was like trying to figure out because I'm in Arizona right now, and I was like, two hours. Which way does the sun go? I'm like, I'm a developer, and I am awful at like you know math and i was wondering what you guys thought about that why is that that was a question on uh, last week's show actually oh man yeah i should have listened to him and uh the conclusion was that um a lot of the stuff that that that, uh, this was the conclusion that i think everybody liked which is that um the stuff that we call math which is calculus geometry trigonometry the stuff that's taught as math in most curriculum is Mm -hmm. happens to be just a stupid random selection of math that mm-hmm. is neither interesting nor useful to, to, to what we do necessarily. Got it. With some exceptions. I mean, obviously, you could use trigonometry to make games, right? But that there's this whole world of like sets and graphs and, and, and the, basically a lot of discrete math, linear algebra. There's just like all the other stuff that's going on in mathematics that nobody ever gets to because they get to calculus and their brains, brains blow up and they never take another math class. Right. And they're missing all the much easier, much more interesting, much more relevant, much more fun stuff that actually does kind of apply to a lot of what we do. Like logic, like logic is math, right? I'm not that good at logic either. I'm okay at it. But that's coding. <laughs> I mean, it's sort of logic in a way. Yeah, exactly. Like, like debugging is reasoning about, about things. Hmm. But you're more about the uh, – you're, you're a manager now, right? I am a manager of humans. That's uh-huh. correct. Yes. So, yes. Uh, um, do you say do you say that implying that I don't code anymore? Because that's what I heard, man. <laughs> I've already gotten in trouble for saying that people don't code uh, <laughs> recently. <laughs> uh, no, no. Well, do you actually code anymore? It's very rare. I'm 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 fretting about this in an article right now of how mm-hmm. to like keep scratching that itch when it's just you know whenever whenever I'm around my team there's just a constant set of things to do that have nothing to do with code. So mm-hmm. I like to say that I do strategy, which I'd love to say that I had a lot ton of time to do, but it's it's a lot of people stuff on a daily basis. I'm, I'm thinking 60, 70 percent of my day is you know all the people related stuff which i love and which is why i wrote the book in the first place is right trying to figure out how to get better at that john um john devon who was the lead programmer on the excel team when i was uh, back there on excel and there were 50 programmers on his team reporting to him mm-hmm. actually i mean there were there were lots of smaller teams they're usually these little bite-sized teams but um they all reported up to him and he still made time he, he just said i want i want a 10 percent coding schedule yeah so he took he, he made time you know one I guess what would that be? One morning a week or something, right. where he just like took some small feature and worked on that. One, yeah, two, three, four, five, I do six, that. Seven, I do that outside nine, of work. And I'm now. doing the math to see if 10 percent is one morning a week. But yeah, it is. <laughs> and he just took some some small feature of Excel and actually just did it himself. Uh, even you know, just as a way of keeping a hand in the code and keeping in, in touch with people. 
I'm having even difficulty doing that. I do that on the I do stuff on weekends. I go poke around languages. I'm looking at scholar right now. So, but it's really kind of just lightweight, kind of exercising the muscle, but not actually you know getting it in shape, if you will. Mm-hmm. So, not all, it's mostly people now. It's all management of stuff and trying to make grow people and people that want to be better engineers and people want to you know consider this whole management track. I want to wait. I want to play uh, uh, a listener question if I can figure out how to do that. Okay. Um, let's see how this goes. Hi, this is Radha Mukai. I have a question about software management. What makes a great software development manager? Should he or she be a good developer to be a great manager? Thank you. Bye. Short and sweet question. Good question. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's like straight. I thought we'd like dance around it before we went to that one. Um, <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's it, really, right? Well, there's two questions in there. What's the, do you have to be a developer to be a good manager? And the answer is, I don't think you need to be a great one, but I think you need to be. The only thing I always tell people is, and this is sort of negative, which is I'm a pretty positive guy, but you've got to be able to know when you're being lied to. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, which is involves knowing the system, knowing the problem, knowing the product, whatever it is. So, you know, I think you've got to have to have been there. You've got to have experienced it. You've got to have been in the hell of shipping 1.0. So it's not just decoding, but it's the entire process of getting a piece of software out the door. So a good developer, I don't think, I don't know, I don't know of a lot of amazingly great developers that have gone willingly towards management. So um, I, I think they kind of tend to be, I don't know. Actually, I take that back. There's a couple of guys that have done it, and they've, but they've been forced to do it. They haven't wanted to do it. Mm-hmm. So... Um, so the first part of the question was, what does it take to be a good development manager? My my throwaway answer isn't really throwaway. Is I think there's a huge amount of a huge, 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 huge amount of just listening. It's just there's just you've got to just kind of gather all of the data from the people, from the teams, all this stuff. I feel like I do a ton of a ton of my job is just sitting there, kind of gathering data from all the people around me. So. If you're one of these, you know, big ego types that likes to talk and isn't a very good listener, you're traditionally, in my opinion, not going to be that great of a manager because you're not taking it all in because it's all happening in the hallway around you or wherever it's going on. So and you're just pontificating and making speeches, which is fine. There's a time and place for that, but you got to you're you're, man, you're managing humans. You've got to get you've got to be listening to what they need. My metaphor that I've been working on in my head for a while is like it's and I, again this sounds negative. I'm not a positive guy. It's weeding. It's like if you got a garden, you just there's just a daily tending of it that you have to do, and it's sometimes just really kind of boring. I'm gonna have a one-on-one, yada yada. But these things just over the time make the team happier, and I think it's part of being a good manager. What is? I mean, I can't even think of when I try to think of one skill that would make you a great developer that is the same as a skill that would make you a great manager. Yeah, exactly. Just, they seem to be so completely non-overlapping. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, one is call, like coding is very much about getting a machine to do your bidding and thinking rationally about rational objects that are going to behave rationally. <laughs> and management is just the exact opposite of that. I mean, I literally found myself in the computer book section this weekend looking for a book. The ideal book would have the following title, Managing Difficult People for Dummies. <laughs> <laughs> or even Managing Dummies for Difficult People would have been great. <laughs> and I wanted it to have like chapter three. The person who always wants to do their own little project in their own little garden and doesn't want to join the rest of the team. Chapter four, the person who (laughs) talks too quietly. Chapter five, the person who talks too loudly. Chapter six. (laughs) Anyway. 
But that's like a programmer way of thinking, like that there's this list of programs like in Stack Overflow, you're going to go ask a question and then everybody can answer and vote up the answers and that'll, that's how you're going to solve your personal problems. <laughs> yeah, I think, people. I think that's like the big problem that you have is in software engineering management is it's like, it's a career restart. I was just writing about this. You just go from, you know, this very understandable world of systems and, you know, it's, you know there's, there are rules that you will follow and it will compile, right? And then you go into this world where it's like, Wow, Bob's just bitchy on Monday, and I have no idea why. What's up with that? And what do I do? <laughs> that would you'd be lucky if you could narrow it down to just bitchy on Monday. You know, that'd be like okay. Just but it's that thing. Monday. Just avoid Bob on Monday. <laughs> at least, at least it's it's fixed. It's more like I don't know what he's so angry about. <laughs> exactly. But it is. It is. We sit there and we try to, as engineers going into management, we sit there and try to find the system. Okay, this is what it, this is. This is the yep. flowchart applies here, and there's nothing. It's just that people are incredibly messy, and that's again, that's the kind of the reason I did the book. Is it's like okay, these management books, they just they don't they don't they don't bridge the gap from I was a good programmer to now I need to be a good. And a good manager. They just assume, hey, management skills, here you go, ready, fly. And uh, the book is called Managing Humans, mm -hmm. right? And it's uh, published by A-Press. And there's also a website, managinghumans.com, which is sort of an introduction to the book, right? Oops, I hope it doesn't play music because then there'll be music playing suddenly. <laughs> there is no music playing. Cool. <laughs> Jeff, uh, why is Jeff so quiet? It's kind of freaking me out. Jeff. Jeff. Uh, sorry, sometimes I... I Try not to interrupt Joel. Joel, just, <laughs> that was he, that was my interrupts me as I'm talking, and I always complain about that. He's like, "No, no, I'm really listening. It's very interactive. I'm interrupting you." It's called active listening. <laughs> so I try to avoid that. But the, the only thought I had there was that a lot of times my concept of of leadership as, as a developer is a uh, it, it's hard to scale it to a really large group. Um, and I'm kind of curious how big are the groups you're managing now? It sounds like they're pretty sizable. I've moved into the senior management role, which is I'm managing managers, which is a whole nother ball of wax. So, um, yeah. So, you know what the next book's going to be called? Yeah. <laughs> managing non-humans. It's going to be called I'm Screwed. <laughs> but it's it, it's fascinating because it's it's a totally it's 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 more like management than engineering is like management. But it's a, it's a very different role where it's. Anyway, we won't go there. So the teams, um, but teams are anywhere from, I actually have a magic number about seven where I feel like that's sort of the point that you can get it all done and over that, you know, given that the team's sort of normal. Over seven or so, it just turns into, you just not, it's just too many people and people aren't getting the attention that they, that they need to kind of grow and do that. So I used to perfect. wish, I used to wish that you could have larger teams than that where people sort of self-manage in a way. Yeah. I think I might've been being naive. I don't know. So they're all in, in this seven. There's all those personalities you were just describing in terms of all those chapters and whatnot. And some of them need a lot of attention, and some are self-managing. But again, at that seven number around there, it just it gets to be too many. And whenever I see or inherit a team, it's like, oh, how many people do you have? Well, I have ten. I'm like, well, how's it not working? And the answer is almost always, well, I'm not talking to so and so, or this person's about to quit. And you can go back to that. You know, it's this weeding thing again. People need daily attention. Not that they're needy, but it's just that's part of that's part of who they are as as humans. As they want to be touched. That sounds getting a little weird there, but they need to have that sort of constant, not constant. They need to have consistent attention. I think is the right word. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. How is it? How is it different to manage uh, a team of programmers as opposed to or developers as opposed to? You know, what's what's unusual about software developers in in management? <laughs> well, this is hard for me to 
answer because that's all I've ever oh. done other than the management side, which is, again, just more managers. So I've never, like, managed a bunch of cheesemakers or anything. Like <laughs> yeah. <that>. <laughs> but there must um, be some things you notice when managing developers and you're like, if you people were normal, I wouldn't have to deal with this. Well, wait, wait, wait. This, that, that's everything uh, he, Michael talks about on his blog. I mean, that's he's true. like a geek, you know. He studies Ge- geeks. I mean, yeah, I do. Yeah, I so I think it's kind of an unfair question because you're you're managing <laughs> the type of people that you are, you know. Yes. Um, yeah. How is it different than managing other people, though? It's it, the thing that's popping to my mind, and stop me if I answer a different question here. Is um, is the thing that kind of made us good engineers or developers? Where we're sort of these system thinkers. So I'm just I'm dealing with the thing right now with someone who's you know going to be fine with me talking about them but it's just i'm walking this person to a hard problem and i'm I'm trying to figure out how to get through get them through it Mm -hmm. and i and i almost always attack explaining something to a developer very systematically i tell them this is what i'm going to say and this is what we need to do here and i I, again it's kind of building that flow chart for them to think about it and that's almost the the engineers geeks nerds they like structure Mm -hmm. so you put that in around sort of this messiness of us being emotional human beings and all that crazy stuff. And it's, that's, that's something that I, that's a, not a trick, but that's something that always works with, with, oh, well, you know, that's true. no, you're absolutely right. I know from, I know from even just even having salespeople at Fog Creek that it's not, that's not the way it is for everybody. Like sometimes yeah. you really, you really have to think about like with an, with an engineer or a developer or somebody who thinks is used to thinking structurally, like you say, you can give them the flow chart and they'll be happy even if it's, yep maddening to yeah. them in some way because they're personally coming off bad in this flowchart. They don't right. care because it's a flowchart and they're happy and they right. understand it. Right. Uh, whereas with other people, you sort of have to, you know, often like the, the, the way in which something is presented is more important than the content of what you're presenting. Right. The salespeople, that's an interesting one. That's, they're, they're, they annoy the hell out of me. They're wonderful people that make lots of money, but it's, I, I <laughs> honestly do not – I know it floats their boat. It's money, but whenever I'm dealing with them, it's, I just feel like I'm a fish out of water. It's like, we, are we even speaking the same language yeah. here? It's, it's incredibly frustrating. But something you learn as you kind of make your way up the management challenge is all those different corporate or you know, organizational dialects. Mm-hmm. Now, Michael, you wrote the Nerd Handbook, which was one of my favorite – recent things that you've done. Uh, mm-hmm. And I, I think the word I was sort of struggling uh, to remember was anthropologist. You're sort of a geek anthropologist. You do this very, yeah. very well. I would say that's how, I, I, that's, to me, that defines you. It's like you're really good at explaining this whole how do geeks work thing. And it sounds like that's the essence of managing geeks is just understanding them, right? Is, you know, yeah. And having an audience. I mean, you're not trying to manage you know, you know, butchers or bakers or you know, whatever, but... Being a developer and actually understanding them, um, so yeah. I can also appreciate the whole the whole losing touch with like you know because it says like the first line is a nerd needs a project because a nerd <laughs> builds stuff all the time, and our first part of this conversation was well what are you what have you been building right right if you're not building stuff <laughs> then you're no longer part of the tribe, uh, and it, it becomes strange at that point. Uh, well, it's and, also go ahead. Well, no, go, no, go ahead. Well, it's uh, it's not just the being with the part of the tribe thing. I think I think we're. I think we as a species, whatever the hell we are, demographic, is 
is there's just such intense satisfaction of building that thing. And I'm sure we get this in all of the different industries or professions that we have, but it's like when you get that last line of code and it's like, it's just, it's shaped perfectly in your head and you compile it and it just works. That's just the high, you know? And that's, that's, that's how we think is how do we build stuff? And that's why I'm always gotten, I always have five or six projects going on. Cause I'm just that, that state of doing something of building a thing is just, Lovely, and that's the hard part with management. Again, is you're not really building anything. You are building people, but there's no none of that. There's none of that structure to it. It's all just kind of like, boy, I'm winging it, and I hope this works out well because I, I like these people a lot. <laughs> right, and and I think my concept of leadership as a developer, such as it is, uh, I think I'm a I'm an okay leader. Um, but first of all, I think I would never try to lead any any team larger than like maybe three, maybe four people, like at right. most. That would, right. I think, immediately exceed my abilities as a quote-unquote manager. And then to me, management, the way I do it, and this might be wrong, is just basically it's, it's leadership by example. It's like you try to do the things that you want other people to do. And you sort of right. – s- there's an implicit, hey, follow my lead. You know, I'm doing this. And then you know, right. you're sort of opening the door and saying, hey, you should do it too. Um, and really that's about it. <laughs> yeah, if that works <laughs> for you. Why <laughs> that works for you. <laughs> Yeah, that That's, works about one, one tenth of the time. <laughs> well, what do you do? What do you do when you become a manager? You're right. That's kind of step number one. But step number two or seven, I don't know which chapter it is. Is okay. So you've been a manager now, and you know how to program in C or whatever it is, and then you inherit the world's best programmer at something you have no idea about, right? That that's kind of the next step is how do you you can't lead by example. You've got to lead in a you gotta figure out other ways to lead. So that's you know, a whole different that's a whole different ball of wax. Right. Well because even with my little hand picked team I've noticed that um and they do a great job to be clear, but like I have to really <laughs> be explicit about what I want. Mm-hmm. Um a lot of times I just assume that oh they'll they'll just know what I want and they'll they'll see it and they'll do it because I'm doing it and they they don't always like. I really have to like sometimes explain to them. That, Let's do this, right? And I don't know. It's it's it, it can be very literal, right? I mean, the assumption is if you're, if you're leading by doing, then people would just follow in your wake, and it's, it's like a row of ducks following the mama duck or whatever, and they just get imprinted and they follow. Uh, but it's much more hands-on than that, right? I mean, you have to yeah yeah be very literal. <laughs> I think there's I think there's a, one of the first mistakes that you make as a manager is you realize early on that your team can't read your mind and I still do this it's like wasn't I, I was thinking that so how how in the world did you guys not do that right I think there's this you know th- th- that's one of the first things you do as the screw ups that you do is you just kind of go well I wasn't I wasn't abundantly clear and I expected you to read my mind um, what I found is a good way to get around that whole thing is having remote employees is and I, this is a question I was looking over the Stack Overflow, and I was looking at questions that I wanted to talk about, and one of them is kind of remote of the offshore question, all that sort of stuff, which you guys have probably already talked about. But that having someone not in the office, not in the hallway, but someone who's doing something that's critical for you, how you how you manage them, how you communicate with them is very different when they're not there and they can't see, you know, your body language and all that sort of stuff. And it teaches you more about what you need to say, even to people that are still there, if that makes any sense. You've got to be really double explicit about what, what they need. So that's a, it's a, one of the powerful lessons for me was having a big remote team and going, wow, I can't just like wander the hallways and kind of organically manage these people. I needed to put more process on it. And I hate process. Process annoys the hell out of me. But I had to do it because otherwise this team was not going to get done what I want them to do. 
and sometimes too, I think I tend to assume that people are good at the same things I'm good at. Um, right. And that isn't always true. And I think leading by example leads you into that trap because right. you're leading by example. You're out there doing like, you know, I do obviously a lot of writing and blogging and stuff like that. And I can't really ask these guys to do that because they're not really, it's not their thing. You know, they don't do that, you know, for right. fun. It's not something that they look forward to. It's not something that they want to do. And, um, and, but it's very easy for me. So it's easy for me to just assume that, oh, you know, I should just go on there and start answering the blog entries and, you know, it's just right. not natural for them. So, again, just, I guess, playing to your strengths and realizing, you know, your strengths aren't necessarily your team's strengths. So that's right, another absolutely. failure of the leadership by example model. The other, yeah, I mean, I, I, like teams that, I like teams that fill in my gaps. I like the, you know, I wanna, I, my team uh, right now, the, I won't talk about my team. What I like about my teams are when they are totally different than I am. That's number one, where they have, I've got this super nerd who totally cares about the thing we're doing, and he's deep, 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 and I've got the other gal who's, you know, more socially aware of the team and can kind of do the recon across the different teams and find out stuff. And it's like, it's like a nice stew of people. That's when, those are the teams that I like, is, is when it's kind of set up like that. So and I had another point, but I just totally forgot it. I can't seem to stop thinking about how many squares Joel uses in the restroom. It's keeps on coming up. <laughs> Don't just have to bring that up. We got a uh, question from uh, from somebody that, we, that, you, that you alluded to, so let me play that question. Hi, Joel. My name is Alex Balashoff from Atlanta, Georgia. I've been following both of your writings for quite a long time now, and I greatly enjoy the podcasts. Please keep up the good work. Uh, my question to you is, what do you think about the feasibility of building a workforce out of people who work from home? I'm in the process of trying to grow my business beyond what is essentially a one-man show and get other people onto my team. I will admit that the angle from which I'm coming at this is a little orthogonal to software development per se, as I'm in the voiceover IP systems integration consulting business, but my ambition is to use that to build a product company somewhat like Fog Creek did. Anyway, while corporate America seems to be somewhat terrified of telecommuting on any large scale for the obvious management challenges that it can legitimately be said to impose, I just can't bring myself to justify dragging people into being stuck in some office for eight hours a day. I think that most of the problems with managing people can be overcome through technological solutions, better back office and collaboration technologies, voice over IP, IM, presence, et cetera. Uh-huh, good luck with certainly that. in some business models, it's easier <laughs> to quantify individual productivity than in others. Sorry to interrupt uh, Alex here, but uh, that's, as soon as people start saying, oh, we can solve management problems using technology. IRC. IRC <laughs> is the answer. Give me a break. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> anyway, I, 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 I'll, I'll leave off the ending here, but um, – but, uh, uh, Alex is starting a company in Atlanta that I guess is known for like not having any two people living within two hours of one another, just big, gigantic <laughs> highways. Everything is spread out. Right. There's no place you can have an office where you're not dooming 90% of your workforce to you know spending two and a half hours of every day stuck in traffic on a highway somewhere. So I have a question for both of you, and we'll get to this question in a second. Is Do you like going into work? Yeah, very much. Joel. Well, yeah, you're creating – well, Joel's cheated. But what? cheating is the way to do it. What do you mean you cheated? <laughs> well, what I mean is you cheated by you, – you created sort of a nerd playground. Yeah. I mean I made is, a workplace I that I want to go into. way to do it. But I, I guess the reason I say cheating is because <laughs> not all workplaces are nerd playgrounds like that. They should yeah, be. I, and I, I get what you're getting at, which is like make your – the place of work desirable, obviously. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So two things. First off, I think you've got to – I think 
one of the things the manager you have to have to have to have to have to do is you have to make it. That's a great line. It's the nerd playground, right? You want to go in there and you want it to yes, it's to be productive, but you just want them to be there because I think it's so much more efficient. However, I think with this remote thing, I've been worrying about this for years. We've got to figure out how to make it work. I'm more and more a lot of my senior guys have a house. I'm in Arizona right now with part of one of my teams and they're here because they're great. We will bend over backwards for them. And um, so they're going to be here. So we've got to figure out how to make that work. There's no way that we're going to get them to move over to California. So, but it is, you know, it is a, it's, it is a different team. It gets treated a little bit differently. And, uh, and I think that's just going to happen more and more. I think there's going to be a lot more of this sort of remote development. So I think um, I, I want to bring up, I mean, you mentioned the Nerd Playground, and I guess Fog Creek is supposed to be a great place to work. But for me, 10, 10% of the, 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 the joy of coming into work is that it's a great place to work, and 90% is that I love these people, is that I want to spend time with the people that are here. Like we've, I've, select, I mean, I've chosen a select group of people that I really like having lunch with and I really like talking to, I really like having intelligent conversations with. Because they're all smart and they're all nerds like me, and... That's, that's what it kind of is, and it sort of sounds like the idea of a team of telecommuters working from their home, it just sort of sounds like it's never going to get the group cohesion. You know, you're never going to – how often are you going to have lunch together? You're, you're not going to be like a really, really tightly knit family. Right. I agree with that. I think, and that's I think the key – it is sad. I think you've got to have the individual off by him or herself somewhere. I, I, I worry a lot about that person, and I think they get shortchanged in terms of stuff to do, and they get kind of you know designed out of the cool stuff because mm-hmm. they're not there in the hallway. So the way that it's traditionally worked at, at other companies that I've had is it has to be a pod of people down in wherever the elsewhere is, right? You know, So they can get together and they can do that social thing. But it's, it's, a, it's a tricky problem that I don't know if I've cracked incredibly well. Yeah. And uh, Jeff, how did you crack it? Because you've got pe- people that you let, I mean, the people that you're working with on Stack Overflow are never in the same place as you. Well, again, I think I cheated. And I think a lot of times you cheat, and that's why you make things work. <laughs> and you sort of leave out all the details like, oh, you just, you know, get all your best friends from your previous jobs. I mean, I, kn- I knew these guys intimately from working with them for a year plus yeah. each on previous jobs. So we had in this person. You knew them in person from these. What's that? You knew them in person, like you had been working with yeah, them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we worked together like in yeah. person for at least a year. If not so more. it's certainly possible if you have a long, long established relationship with somebody for that person yes. to go off somewhere, maybe work from home for a while, uh, you know, move to a different city and continue working on the team. Maybe if they. But but I found, and I I feel like there's a I I I certainly have enough personality defects that I can barely even like convince people in the other hallway. Like I don't even know what's going on with people that are, that are in the far hallway. <laughs> I can't get them to do what I want, let alone, you know, if they're going to be off in some, in, some, in some distant location. And other people don't seem to have this problem. I mean, there are plenty of people that are just good at, I don't know what it is. It's, it's the email and the IRC and the, and the VoIP. Uh, they're able to uh, um, keep on, on track, I guess. Is that a generational thing, though? Is that a generation Maybe. X versus generation I'm Y? I, I've been, I don't, I'm kind of, I'm leaning your way, Joel. It's like I, I actively try to find what every medium can do to kind of keep people together. But at the end of the day, I would prefer everyone to be in the same wing of the building so we could just get it done. There's too but much like nonverbal. There's too much nonverbal communication. Yeah, that is not the words that would be mentioned in IRC. Right. It's just too tedious to send an email or even to have a phone call. 
you're just not going to get it. You have to set up the phone call. There's just a certain amount of friction to working with somebody remotely that means that the bandwidth is just much, much less than when you're working with them. And I don't know how many times something when you're working with somebody in the same office, just, just having them right there and being able to, I don't know, see if they're unhappy about something or notice yeah, if they're not coming in on time or... To solve the problem right then and there as opposed to having this whole thing about it. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Is well, Stack Overflow... Go ahead. Let me tie these two concepts together. So maybe what I would recommend if uh, to the to the caller mm-hmm. is if, if you're going to pick these people, have some sort of offsite where you all go for like multiple days, ideally. Yeah. And try this out and see if you actually work together in person and you can get some sort of rapport going in person mm-hmm. and then break apart. So maybe this model would be, you know, come together, break apart, come together, break apart, and just have these regular intervals where you actually do come together in person. I think that could work. Mm-hmm. But I think you have to have this in-person relationship to really make the remote relationship work. I think it's sort of a catch-22. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. Okay. Yeah. All right. Other, uh, uh, we didn't get to any um, – we, we missed the Stack Overflow news section of the podcast. Jeff, is there any exciting Stack Overflow news you want to uh, – No. Or? Well, there's always Stack Overflow news. We got that, we got that uh, sure. bounty. The mm-hmm. bounty thing is working. Yeah, we finished the seven-day, the other end of that feature. Uh, so, Michael, the funny part of that is we have the seven-day feature where if, if you don't like an answer that you've gotten or you haven't gotten a good answer, you can sort of slice off a piece of your reputation and say, this, I want this so badly. If someone, <laughs> someone can give me a good answer, I'll give you a piece of my own reputation. Uh, and the funny part of that, which I'm sure you'll appreciate as a person who manages programmers, we did, there was a seven-day timer, and at the end of that seven days, stuff happened. And we, we just finished that seven-day part like – two hours before it was going to expire. <laughs> before the code ran. <laughs> we sort of deferred that work. We were like, oh, we don't have to do this for seven days. This is like the train has set no off way. from Chicago on its way to St. Louis, <laughs> but the track is not all down yet. <laughs> but by the time exactly. it gets to St. Louis, we'll have the track. We hope. Exactly. So the train doesn't that, have brakes either. <laughs> those are, yeah. those are, the brakes have been shipped ahead to St. Louis using the Pony Express. <laughs> <laughs> they will throw them at the train as it arrives in the station and get installed at the last minute. I have there's, a question. Some... Go, ahead. go ahead. No, I have no, a question about badges. This is, I think, this. Badgers. I was perusing your site, and I think the badges thing is one of my favorite things. I play World of Warcraft, which is, which is you know the bane of my existence. But this whole sort of achievement system that you have here, I was wondering what like unexpected thing has occurred. I'm looking down this sort of list of badges that you have, and some of them are very obvious, and some of them are like, whoa, that's got to be hard to do. But what is, what is something that's happened where you're like, well, we didn't expect that when we did badges? Let me look at badges. There's a bunch of things I like about badges. So badges are pretty much explicitly modeled on uh, the Xbox achievement system. And there you um, go. Yeah, which I've talked about before, but the interesting thing about the Xbox achievement system is it works on several levels. It works for like beginners, it works for intermediates, it works for experts, and it, it draws all three of those audiences in to the game. Like you learn about the game and you get rewarded for doing stuff which feels good. Um, and it was amazing how effective it was at, at such a broad spectrum of gamers. And so that's why we have those three tiers, like bronze, silver, and gold. Those are the three audiences, beginners, right. intermediates, and then like the hardcore people. Um, so I'm, I'm looking at the badge list. So another thing I like about it is you can, you can look at the numbers next yep. to the badges, and it sort of tells you what people are actually doing in the system. This yeah. is a way for us to see how many people have actually posted a question. How many yeah, we don't have, have a single generalist or specialist. Well, those are, those, that's more laying down track. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the badges that we haven't fully implemented yet. Uh, but those are the last two. I mean, all the other ones are 
basically implemented except for uh, I think Yearling, which is you have to be on the site. I like the, I like the part that's amazing is that there are twenty thousand people that have answered a question and gotten an upvote right. for their answer. Yeah. Well, exactly. You can just break down the stats. That's the really system. the that's really the the very active community, right? Because those are the people that come regularly that aren't just googling on by to get an answer to their question that they found in Google. That's this right. Is good. That's you right. need a mis- so, You need a mystery badge. You need like the badge that no one actually knows what it is, <laughs> and the engineers have to go reverse engineer why they suddenly got the mystery. You could badge. just call it lucky and give it to twenty percent of people at random. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would drive him up the wall. <laughs> oh, lucky. You know about the the, the the way to improve the the overall luckiness in your in your town if you're a monarch and you want to improve the luckiness <laughs> of people in your town. You just just kill random people. <laughs> like, you're, I'm killing you now because you're unlucky. That's right. <laughs> That's right. So probably, and this is going to sound really obvious to obvious to you. The, the thing I learned from badges is that anytime you give somebody uh, an incentive, they they take it very very seriously. Like they take it yeah. more seriously than you do. Um, yeah. Not that I don't take these features seriously, but you know, again, it's like it's weird to be outside the game creating it. It, it you you look yeah. at it differently than when you're participating. The you participants know, you, you are actually a very malleable good. world where anything can happen, and you know these things are very arbitrary. But from from the inside, it doesn't look that way at all. It looks like these are very strict rules. I have to understand them. You have to explain them to me. You know, and you just get a lot of questions, and people are very serious about why didn't I get this, or you know, why does it work this way? You know, right, and right. they just take it really seriously, and it's hard to think of it that way from the outside. Uh, like the people who create WoW probably think these rules, you know, all the WoW stuff is really, you know, on some level kind of silly. But yeah, yeah, when, yeah but it's, it's sort of these, you know, it's sort of this uh, world where money doesn't matter anymore, and we've got to find some other system to kind of value each other. So that's kind of cool. It's actually oh, we yeah. think that uh, you know. It's not that money doesn't matter, and that we, I mean, we could have done this with real money. There's no reason right. we, couldn't, we couldn't have. And if we were Jason Calacanis, we would be. But, um, <laughs> careful, careful! If you say his name too much, he'll appear. He's going to sue us. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, but 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 that's because we 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 really believe and we really decided that uh, having a a real reward system displaces like giving people monetary rewards makes them actually put a monetary value on what they just did. So, for example, you know, I solved some person's problem last night with VB, and I got, you know, a few little upvotes, and he wrote, thanks, that really helped. And, you know, I spent 15 minutes doing that, and I got a lot of positive feedback, and I'm happy, right? Right. Because he said, thanks, that helped. And he didn't even give me the little check, the little, like, this answered my question. Um, oh, he didn't accept your answer? That's so uncool. Yeah, well, I think he <laughs> But whatever. I got, I got all the stroking that I needed. But, I mean, how much, could, how much money could there have been there? 16 cents? And then I'd be saying 16 cents for 15 minutes, not worth it. You know, as soon as there's a real amount there that's like a currency amount, then that almost displaces your I, – I believe that that displaces your motivation somewhat. It just re- kind of replaces your motivation with like, eh, is it really worth the 15 cents? And you get a very different kind of contributor. Right. Well, this is you know geek anthropology. It's understanding that the the the, the metric, the, the thing that geeks enjoy more than anything else, is showing off what they know, and and it also feels good to help other people. I mean, it really, really does. Like my and I told Joel, one of my favorite things to do on the site is go to a post and I'll read all the answers, and I look for people that have have just entered the site, like they have a reputation score of like one or ten or some two digit number, and they'll post a good answer, and I, and I click it up. And it just feels really good to reward people for doing awesome things, you know? And that's yeah. geek anthropology to me is like 
that's how we work. You know, we just want to see other people do cool stuff. We want to do cool stuff and build cool stuff. And, you know, it's just sort of the virtuous cycle of, you mm-hmm. know, encouraging people to do the right thing. Yeah. It's a great idea. Is it doing well? Is it doing gangbusters? It's doing gangbusters. Excellent. Yeah, it's definitely uh, exceeding expectations. I always like to go into Google Analytics and, and brag about all the <laughs> fantastic data that we have. But um, four, four million uh, unique, uh, four million visits uh, in the last month. Uh, Eleven wow. million pages. Eleven million page views. Uh, Two point two million unique visitors uh, per month. And that that actually kind of surprises me because I've heard the statistic bandied about that there are about four million programmers in the world. Interesting. So to have 2.2 out of 4 million, actually, uh, I don't know where I heard that statistic, and I guess, I don't, I don't know what that means. I mean, it's, and I wish somebody knew and could tell me. But <laughs> <laughs> I, have, I have heard confirmation that it's around 2 million in the U.S. by whatever, you know, the IRS, I guess, puts out some numbers, or the Census Bureau, or I don't know who it is, the people that claim they're, um, obviously, it's a real loose number, but 2.2 um, million is a huge number of people that actually visit the site every month. And that's in that's about great. three months that we built up to that. I'm kind of bummed this wasn't around when I was like super coder because this wouldn't have saved me like time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> most people at this point, most people like eighty two percent actually are typing a question into Google, and then we already have the answer for them, and that's how they get to our site. Oh, really? So that's actually that's actually our most common use case is you type the question into Google, and there's already an answer for you. In fact, that, that became a, a complaint about the site, in fact. It was so effective that people were getting PO'd that you would, you'd start typing an answer, and by the time you were done, there were like three other answers, and it, <laughs> they were complaining that it was actually too effective. So we actually we have, we do a little callback, like when you start typing an answer, yeah. that kicks off a little Ajaxy thing in the background that actually goes out and looks for new answers. So it'll tell you, it's like while you're typing, oh, there were three new answers, and you can click to load, and... Um, it's what they call the fastest gun in the West problem. This was a huge topic of discussion on the right, site. It was like, right. how do we deal with the fastest gun in the West problem? And, and, and at one level, I was like, how is this bad? You know, it's like, I'm getting answers too fast. Make it stop. <laughs> no, it's like that you, try, you, you, went, you made the effort to try to rush in yeah. on an answer, and somebody else beat you to it. Yeah. I mean, this is not a bad thing from the perspective of the person answering the question at all. So it's kind yeah. of tough to judge. Right? I think the right thing to do, if it's, a, if it's a popular technology, if you think other people are going to answer it, you really want to snag first, is just bang out the fastest two sentences you can that kind of would get the person on the right track. That, first. You know, yeah. Not just the word first, <laughs> but like, you know, have you considered blah, 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 without sample code, without anything. Just right. bang it out and then go back and then take some more time to uh, edit your question, to add sample code, to test your sample code. Like I don't – if I publish sample code, I've tested it usually. Right. Well, th- this is where it becomes more like a game too. And, and parts of the site really are explicitly designed to be around – it's supposed to be fun. It's not supposed to be a game that's arbitrary, but it's supposed to be fun. And part of having fun – and again, geek anthropology, we love leveling up. That's like our favorite thing, right? <laughs> equipping items and leveling up it's fun to do that so we encourage that because i think the net result is something that builds your career builds other people's careers this is sort of a net positive whereas playing world of warcraft it's like that time just disappears (laughs) from the planet basically but if you do something in stack overflow other people can find it other people can benefit from it i mean this is a totally reasonable way to spend your time in my opinion um but it, it becomes gamesmanship. It's like, how do I give the best answer? And you're gamed into really kicking ass and answering people's questions. I mean, how is that bad? I mean, 
<laughs> you know? And somebody wrote me this really nice email about how using Stack Overflow had taught him to be this really great writer because he learned every time he wrote something, what didn't get upvoted, what did get upvoted, how to write good answers. And he felt like it literally had made him a better writer. I thought that was mar- amazing. I mean, I couldn't ask for a deeper compliment. If I if I answer a question, no. If I ask a question, is there like an RSS feed? How do I how do I know that I'm getting feedback from you guys? Well, if you if you ask a question, we actually just introduced this new feature. Um, the site, as long as you've actually asked a question, we have uh, an account for you, quote unquote account, which will be cookie based mm-hmm. and sort of attach it to something more permanent. But every time you go to the site, if you carry that cookie, uh, we'll go out and query and see if there's any new answers or comments on your question. And there's Got a little it. envelope next to your name that lights up. Um, we also have an RSS feed per question, so you could certainly subscribe to that. That's at the very bottom of the page. Uh, it's also in the you know, HTML Does, header. Um, Michael, do you have any uh, favorite questions you want to you wanna bring up for the show? I know we actually kind of covered the one that I wanted to bring up, which we talked about, which was sort of the offshore remote thing. Okay. So that was the one I had. So All right, cool. I want... I wanted to talk about that one. We'll so. go around. Did we talk about that enough? Do you want? Oh, offshore. Do you want to talk about offshore, remote? Well, I guess it's sort of the I, same. I, there, there, the question I, oh, I had one point that I wanted to make. I don't know if it's a favorite question, but the question was, uh, what is it? Does offshoring work? And my my issue with the question, it's a fine question, is there should be uh, double quotes around what does work mean, right? Because <laughs> there's some value of work. <laughs> it's, it's, and, that, and that there's some great answers on that question, mostly about, you know, misaligned expectations and whatnot. And I think there's a lot of people that think uh, offshore works just fine because they spent less to get a thing. I'm, I'm doing air quotes on almost every word I'm saying here right mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. But it's... Uh, <laughs> I can hear it. I can spend <laughs> a quote less to get a quote thing. But it's, yeah. to me, it's like... Work to me is as a as an engineer is did we build this beautiful thing that was totally awesome right mm-hmm. and in that case offshoring doesn't work for me at all because cost wise I tend to I, even with great offshore teams I tend to spend a lot of time uh, dealing with not awesomeness and a lot of suckiness and whatnot so there's mm-hmm. people that it works where it's you know when it's you know something which is simple and it's easy and it's it can be described in a flowchart sort of sense but it doesn't work for me because the cost is almost always the same amount as the people that I would have here so work yeah. is the issue I have with that that's something that I, I don't people who haven't studied economics don't quite get which is they look at this the salaries in like say india for example and they're one-third of the equivalent right. salaries in the united states and that is actually the total burdened cost of hiring an employee in india would be about one-third and they just sort of assume that that means that that that's because say the cost of living in india is lower or whatever right. and actually that's not why the reason is because you get one-third the value because exactly the people paying the money for these developers have to buy three times as many to get the same effectiveness out of uh, the, the Indian developers, not that they're not good, but they're far away and they're in a different time zone. And they're, um, you know, sometimes they aren't as, as good as the, as the top ones that, that you could get locally. And, um, and, and that's why, and the truth is if the, if you got, if people were getting just as much value out of Indian developers as they were out of uh, uh, local developers, um, and once again, not because they're Indian, but because they're, they're remote and also they just don't have as much um, shrink wrap software experience and stuff like that. Yeah. But um, if they were getting the same amount of value, then there is no reason that the Indian developers couldn't charge that much. The price would be bid up. And it is on the great ones. Uh, the price would be bid up to the point uh, at which it's, it would be sort of equivalent and, and, and they would be getting all the benefit of the low cost of living in India as opposed to Walmart getting all the benefit of the low cost of living. 
My big my big issue is has to do with sort of what is their skin in the game. You know, back to what we were talking about geeks and nerds and sort of like how fun it is to level up. I, I find that when teams are incent they're there, it's their code, mm-hmm. they know where it's going, they know why it's important. Mm-hmm. I get a very different result than I get out of teams where it's like, here is the spec, here's the API, right? It's just that their skin is in the game. So I, the productivity is through the roof. It's a, it's a totally different scenario for yeah. me. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. And actually, one of the things, I mean, I don't understand why India has, why so many developers in India are, have just chosen the, the offshoring slash outsourcing model. Why don't they start software companies? They got all the skills. And some of them are. And that's, then that's what they're going to have to do. And that's how they're going to make the big bucks. And they're going to get excited and they're going to be able to deliver wonderful things for people. Totally agree. Not by like looking for the low-end stuff that's easy to get into. Maybe it's a good start for their for their industry and maybe the next stage. Um, but you know what? Like, look at Israel. They, they Israel just, just skipped the whole offshoring stage and just jumped to making products. And they're now you know a great source of innovation in software and technology. And um, the cost of developers in Israel is very close to the cost of developers in the in the U.S. Yeah, that was always that they were going to claw their way up the ladder. That eventually there's going to be enough pressure on their their salaries locally yeah. that. It would stop being so, you know, such a great idea to do this offshoring model and have the the low cost value model. Hmm. So there's uh, that's about offshoring here. Um, Jeff, do you have a you want to pick a question from the site? Well, mine is uh, obvious because somebody on Twitter already said that I was going to do it, and I have to self fulfilling prophecy. But I, I enjoyed this <laughs> one because uh, the title is uh, I was recently asked for my Stack Overflow rep score in a job interview. Is oh. that appropriate? This is five hundred two. 502492 Okay, that's, it might that's have a been just a very friendly. Yeah, and, and the impression I got, and I think somebody followed up with them in the comments. I'm I'm clicking through here, and I think uh, the people from the interview were just like fans of Stack Overflow, so they had, you know, it's just one of those friendly things. It wasn't like you know, enter your score here, and then yeah. that's, <laughs> we, that's how we grade you. But <laughs> I don't but, think that was the context. You know what? We uh, um, we've we've hired people, or you know what? We've not hired people, but we've uh, moved them on to you know we've. We've moved them on from the from the resume stage to the interview stage because of top coder scores, because of winning ACM programming competitions. I, I would I would if somebody had a high Stack Overflow score and they applied for a job here, I would totally I would look at what they wrote. I would look at four or five of the best things that they did, and that would make a huge difference in whether or not we brought them in to interview them. Right, and you bring up I think the best point here is that. That's, that was always the intention of Stack Overflow, was to leave this trail of breadcrumbs showing how awesome you are, mm-hmm. right? It's about other programmers, about how great the average programmer has all this knowledge locked up inside them that doesn't really get out to the world. Because like I said, they don't blog. They don't you know, have this star complex that we have <laughs> where they want to be out. <laughs> right, right. But they really know their stuff. You know, and I've worked with so many talented developers, and that's awesome. Like if you can go to Stack Overflow, hey, you know, I have a Stack Overflow rep. And the hidden part is because I have some really great answers, right? I have really great knowledge that I've shared with my fellow programmers. We basically, what we did is we made about 20,000 Raymond Chens. 
right? Because every Raymond Chen every, every Raymond Chen blog post starts with a question like, "How do I do the following thing in Windows?" and then has what would have been the number one Stack Overflow answer, <laughs> right? But you know, I'm really I'm, I'm a fan of, of the average developer. I mean, obviously not every developer, but you know, that was one thing that came out of my blog was that the average commenter knew a lot about the topic that I was talking about. And often I learned more from the commenters than I learned from the blog post itself. And, you know, let a thousand flowers bloom sort of thing. So I think if you want to highlight your score and point to, you know, some great answers that you've put out there, I think that's totally appropriate for a job interview. And I think great fodder for, you know, vetting somebody. Think about how, uh, you know, people like, uh, have you ever, you know, even when you just go answer something on Stack Overflow, you ask something on Stack Overflow, you post a comment on some blog somewhere, Ten minutes later, you're there fidgeting, twitching, trying to see <laughs> if it's caused a ripple in the world in some way. <laughs> Has anybody even noticed this? Will somebody please just say good job or that's really funny or I appreciate this post or comment, right? You, right. People just crave that feedback. And you think about the average developer's job consists of sitting and solving problems all day long and not getting that feedback just in a very lonely way. Even if they're working with a team of people, they're just banging out the code and they're solving a million little problems and they're getting a little bit of feedback when they finally get a feature done and they demo it, you know? But just for like, oh, God, how the hell do you – I finally fixed that thing in my registry where it was taking forever for Internet Explorer to go to a hyperlink, you know? And you never get anybody to say, oh, good job. But but you just spent two hours solving a problem. And so sort of that's, a, that's kind of one of the awesome things that sort of happens on Stack Overflow, I think, is that uh, all, those, all that unsung knowledge that you're earning as a developer – it's micro feedback. Finally, has value. You know, it's finally worth something to somebody. You know, you've yeah. solved some really tiny problem. One of the one of the great use cases for Stack Overflow is you post your own question, and you leave Stack Overflow for a while. Nobody answers. You go back and you do the research, and it takes you months. You finally solve it, and then you say, you know what? I'm going to contribute this back to the community. You go answer your own question, and now there's this thing that the other thirty thousand people that are going to have this problem will find on Google till the end of time. <laughs> well, even if it's the, the other 30 people, right? That's the Even if it's 30, group. right, right, right. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I'm for it. The what about you, Joel? Do you tail. have a question? This yeah, let me, let's find one. How about, uh, um, uh, okay, this is a random one. The question is, what do you do to keep learning? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, constant learning. There, um, how, when my children tell me that they hate school, I often tell them they need to get used to continually learning because they live in a generation in which constant learning will be required. How do I know? Because I live in a generation and work in an occupation in which continuing learning is imperative. I guess that's, that's our field. Do you agree with that? And what do you do to keep up with it? So my, my issue with learning is there's actually there's air quotes around it. <laughs> <laughs> no, there wasn't in the original question. <laughs> um, there's this thing. Um, th- there's this thing about nerds that I, that I love because I am one of them, which is like we're really good at kind of like going really wide on something. It's like, oh, what the hell is this about? And you have Google and you have Stack Overflow and you can just kind of like go really, really wide on something, mm-hmm. which I think is awesome and we're really good at finding those things. But I, I think the question is, how do you really kind of go deep and eat deep into a thing? How do you not just like get like two inches of knowledge? How do you get like 16 feet of knowledge into it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, m- my strategy, I, 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 I for I always read. I've been reading since I was a kid. And if there's one thing that gets me that gets me altered, it's reading all sorts of crazy stuff. That's the thing that I feel like I'm doing the most the most learning. The job is always totally, you know, different. There's always crazy things happening. There's a lot there, but that's what I do. It's not and I'm learning there and I'm gathering stuff. But it's I think the outside of your comfort zone is where you is what learning really is, is going and finding out what, you know, 
what crazy thing you you're, you know you want to find out about. So reading is my thing that keeps me mm-hmm. sane and keeps me learning. And the top two responses, both uh, the accepted answer and the community accepted answer, the number one item in those, the first read. word, yeah. read. <laughs> yeah. Do I get a bad? So yeah, I think <laughs> geeks think alike. This is what I'm saying. Some, yeah. The trouble is that the stuff that's available to read these days is, except for except for your book, um, it's just getting worse and worse. <laughs> There's so much crap. I found I don't believe how much time I spend just going next, next, next in Google Reader. And just being fed these little drivets of randomly useless information. We were having a conversation yesterday at lunch, and I noticed that about half the conversations at Fog Creek Lunch are usually of the form. Did you see that thing on the YouTube with a guy with a cat, and the cat was <laughs> – it's like That's we're awesome. this community that just uses like RSS feeds and Google Reader and Reddit and Dig and, and Twitter and whatnot to just sort of like munch a little bit, just surf around in this huge, right. gigantic – a junk heap, like a huge <laughs> trash tip, like a gigantic <laughs> dump of garbage. And we're all walking around, and I'm like, oh, did you see the other day that, that kind of that rusty kitchen sink that was sort of arranged in a funny way? And the guy's like, oh, with the dead cat? No, no, the dead, dead, dead dog. Oh, yeah, that was cool. I right. totally agree. You want to go deep. That's my whole point is it's right. like we're really good at staring at those sinks. It's like, okay, well, I want to go learn how to make, uh, I don't know, cheese. How do they do that? Mm-hmm. And really, you know, spending, that's, I think, and I think, I think that's, that's what, again, what I'm opinion myself, that's learning to me is like, you go deep, you know? And then it's the practice, right? It's the, it's the, yeah. it's, and then it's like really spending hours and hours and hours practicing to get good at it. But the, yes, exactly the focusing and all of that. But it's also the thing about learning how to make cheese is you you sit there and nerd again here, right? And you find those rules and that system in there, and you go, "Cool, I didn't know that's how they made, made manchego. That's fucking hot." And then you go, "You know, I could totally use that in managing people." I'm not sure what that you know relation would be, but again, <laughs> well, if they <laughs> like cheese, then you can bring them cheese and be. <laughs> but that's. That's always how I'm thinking. That's what. That's one of the things that I motivate myself on going deep on random things. Is I always find that you know gem of whatever it is that actually go. I can pull back into what I do all day. Do you think this? You know, have you ever worked with a developer that spends too much time learning, and is yes. always always has wait? I, I, I like about code specifically. Like they've always every three weeks they come in with some new faddish way to write code. And they're like rewriting everything to use something. I won't. I won't mention anything because I'll get sued. But they come in completely. Wow! That's inside for you. Wow! <laughs> they they come up with there. some some new fashion of the day kind of form of programming thing. And now they've stopped everything. And they're like, no, this is fine. I'm just going to rip out all this stuff and I'm going to rewrite all this stuff from scratch. And I'm going to re. And in six months, it's really going to be worth it because our code is going to be completely upside down. <laughs> This feels like therapy for you, Joel. What's going on? <laughs> well, to be fair, sometimes Joel says stuff, and I, you know, I don't agree. I think, I think you skipping .NET was was silly in retrospect. Skipping but, .NET. Yeah, like the way you were .net? such a late adopter of .NET was just silly. But I, in general, I agree with the theme of what you're saying, which is developers are like yeah. you know magpies. You know, they they got to have the shiny thing, and sometimes to the detriment of you know what they're actually trying to do. They're so. They're working really hard on this new shiny thing that they want to learn about because there's, there's learning involved. And I, a lot of times you'll see, you know, it really depends on the kind of company, but there's an awful lot of companies that will like literally they'll switch programming language for no reason, rewrite everything because it's just <laughs> impossible to get the developers not to. 
Well, wait, wait. Let's 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 tie that back into management. The reason that happens, in my opinion, is mm-hmm. because the people managing aren't don't have the technical chops to tell yes. developers are just getting led down these crazy you know yeah. paths that they shouldn't be going in. Yeah. And they're like, so, oh wow, we got to do this technical thing because the technical right. guys said we have to. Mm-hmm. So so let's not put all the blame on the managers here, but I agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's also fire them. <laughs> there's also the other half of this equation, which is the the whole magpie thing, the bright and shiny thing, which is I think it's part of the geek sort of psyche to be like oh my god that's the new hotness it's xbox 460 it's you know it's whatever <laughs> you know it's it's that's our that's our nature is to go and embrace the, the bleeding edge and understand it and go figure it out I don't, so, I, I, it's, it's true that you say that but i don't i'm, I'm always one generation behind on everything hmm. you know i was like a year late to twitter i was two years <laughs> late to dot net programming i was um uh what else am i late to you know well, I, I think you you want developers that are a little bit cranky because if they're too like optimistic, like right. optimism kills, right? And yes. yeah. optimism tied with the magpie is really <laughs> deadly. <laughs> right. I mean, it leads to some really fun stuff, but it's like you'll never get anything done. Uh, so you want, I think you want developers that are a little bit cynical, not too much because it comes a downer. <laughs> I often, I, you, but I think you do that. Yeah. You want the really, really bright conservative guy or gal on the team where it's just like they know it and they get it, but they're also able to like, they are, they're not afraid of change, but they can articulate the cost of change, I mm. guess, is the way to think about it. They balance those, the magpies out and they go, oh yeah, that's going to, that could totally screw us up for a year. Let's, <laughs> let's not, not do that. <laughs> <laughs> that is, I think one advantage of like getting older as a developer is I think you do get enough failures under your belt. Yes. <laughs> Honestly, I think that's what it takes. Uh, to really understand some of the pitfalls, like deeply, and yes. hopefully you have enough people like that on your team. That's the danger of having these really young development teams. In my, in my opinion, is they haven't had enough failure, failures. And you got to do it. And you've got to go get beat up, and management or engineer, or whatever. You got to go. Some of my best stories are colossal screw ups, and they're awesome. And I learned a ton. <laughs> and I wish right. I didn't have to do them again. And hopefully, I won't. Oh yeah, no failure is great. I mean, in fact, <laughs> I don't know if we've touched on this, but I think the people who come to you and say, "Here's all the ways I've screwed up," are going to be some of your best people because a) they're reflective; they actually think yes. that they screwed up, <laughs> and and b) you know they they understand the the value of going in and, and taking this and you know preventing it from happening again. Happening again. I mean, that's that, that's the nature of software development; it's very iterative. It's all about failing yeah. and then saying, "How can I not fail the next time?" Yeah. And if you're not doing that, then you're kind of doomed. That's All right. kind of something I go ahead. Yeah. No, I was just going to wrap it up, but but go ahead. Give us a, give us a, something to make people cry as as the music plays on the way out. Oh crap. <laughs> <laughs> I think that uh, what I look for when I hire uh engineers, it's like it's a balance of two things. It's first off, I look for a little ego. Do you know what you're talking about? Can you really explain it to me really well? But I also look for that that humility thing which we're talking about here, which is <laughs> Boy, did I screw up! And these are all the lessons that I had. Those are the two things I, I'm looking. And they're sort of contradictory because the big ego person. The bi- I'm not interested in hiring the big ego person who can't tell me how badly he screwed up. That's what I want to oh, say. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. that's awesome. That's a great balancing. Mm-hmm. That's a perfect way to phrase that. You you want right. they balance each other. You got to have that. Totally Absolutely. Great. This was terrific. You have been listening to episode number forty of StackOverflow.com. Is it really already episode number forty? Yeah, oh, the big four zero. Whew, we're in middle age at this point. Um, our guest has been Michael Lopp, who many of you know is, is Rands of Rands and Repose. You can visit him at RandsandRepose.com, and his awesome book is called Managing Humans. Just search for that, Managing Humans. Uh, that's pretty much all you need, right? That, 
that's you that's all in those two words. <laughs> uh, thank you very much for, for being with us, Michael. It was a, it was a pleasure, guys. It was awesome. Um, thanks, Jeff. Uh, to our listeners, if you have any questions you want to ask, next week we have Uncle Bob Martin, Robert Martin, the object-oriented design guru extraordinaire, uh, will be uh, a guest host if we can find him. And uh, uh, if you have any questions uh, about that or if you have a- any questions about this week's show, please call the podcast hotline. This is where I type <laughs> Stack Overflow to my contact manager. <laughs> <laughs> to try to find the phone number <laughs> or record an MP3. The Stack Overflow hotline is uh, 646-826-3879 and you could just call and record a 90 second or less message or record an MP3 and email it to us here at podcast at stackoverflow.com and we do get a lot of those and so we try to get to the, the good ones but uh, keep them coming in. Uh, we do try to listen to them all. Uh, there's a, a wiki uh, that we use for a transcript, and uh, that is um, very beneficial for when we're getting into a debate over what was actually said on the show, or uh, even uh, better for the uh, hearing impaired who want to be able to read the most exciting parts that went on. So if there's a part of the show that you particularly liked, um, just a minute or two or three, um, please contribute by uh, going uh, over to the uh, show notes at blog.stackoflow.com, and you'll see a link for every show. There's a link uh, to the wiki, which you can just hit the edit button and provide a little bit of a transcript transcript uh, of what we're saying here. What other things do we usually announce at the end of the show, Jeff? I think that's it. I think that's you covered it. it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, thank you very much and see you next week. Bye. You've been listening to Stack Overflow with Jeff Atwood and Joel Spolsky. The Conversations Network is a 501c3 nonprofit, and we need your help. For a tax-deductible donation of as little as $5 per month, you can support this channel and the rest of the Conversations Network. So please visit conversationsnetwork.org to become a member and help us continue to bring our programs to the world for free. Our audio files are delivered by Limelight Networks, the high-performance content delivery network for digital media. The post-production audio engineer for this program was Joel Spolsky. Our website editor was Jeff Atwood. The series producer is Jeff Atwood. This is Phil Windley. I hope you'll join me next time for another great presentation from Stack Overflow here on IT Conversations.